going to do some training time. And so you are invited to stick around uh, to hang out for that or to leave and come back. We start right after the second service at 1145. So keep that, um, keep that in mind. Okay, if you would, grab your Bibles, please. And uh, we're going to jump into our morning message here this morning. We're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 6. Mark, chapter 6. You can go to uversion.com as well and, uh, and go to Mark that way. To, uh, if you have a tablet or smartphone there with that. Now, just uh, by way of review, we're in a series called Stories, and this series is looking at the different stories, uh, just six people from Scripture, and looking at how did God work in their life? What did, what did God do in them and through them? Because in many ways, the, the people in the Scriptures are a lot like you and me. They lived a different time period, different culture, all that's true, but they're also kind of like us. And so taking time to look at what did, uh, what did God do in their lives? One of the things I hope that we see going through this series is that with these six people, the way God worked was unique to each of them. In effect, their story was unique, kind of like a fingerprint. And, and that's true for you and I as well, that God is doing a work. He's doing a work in your life and through your life, and, and, and it's unique to you. He's meeting you where you're at, and he's doing something very special in your life. And so I hope as we go through this, we not only learn about these different characters in Scripture, but also you're able to ask yourself these questions like, well, what's my story? And how has God worked in my life over the years? And what's God doing today? And what am I trusting him for tomorrow? These are the questions I hope that we're all asking as we make this more personal. Now, last week we looked at the Apostle Paul. And you can go back and look on Facebook or on the church website or in podcasts. But you can go back and listen to that. And we looked at at the Apostle Paul and and this man's radical transformation. He's on the road to Damascus and Jesus shows up and completely and radically upends his life. And everything changes there. And then we, we saw how, how, whether we realize it or not, we talked about how God is always at work in our life. Now, today we're going to introduce, I want to introduce you to a second character from the New Testament. And this character had a very different background, a very different life. This person, unlike Paul, was extremely familiar with Jesus. This person, maybe with the exception of a couple other people, probably spent more time with Jesus than anyone else in all the Bible, really. This is a person who knew him, who spent time with him, and, 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 and just that's part of his story. And so this morning, I want to introduce you to James. James. Now, in, this, in the New Testament, there's actually three James. It was a popular name, very common name. Uh, two of the three James in the New Testament were Jesus' disciples, and we're not talking about those two guys. Those are great guys too, but we're not talking about them. We're talking about the other James, this other guy. So if you have your bulletin on the backside, filling in the blanks here, here's your first fill in the blank. I want to give you our big idea for this morning. And and here it is. The big idea is this, that sometimes faith in Jesus is challenged by familiarity to Jesus. Now, at first blush, that may not make a whole lot of sense. Like, what, what does that mean, that faith in Jesus is challenged by familiarity with Jesus? Here's what I mean by that. What I mean by that is that sometimes we can be so familiar with Christianity, and we can be so familiar with the Bible and, and with Jesus and what it actually looks like to live as a Christian, that in that place, we actually miss Jesus. And we actually miss what the life that God's calling us to live actually looks like. 
that we can become so familiar with it that we actually miss it. It can sound like this, and maybe you've thought this before or you've said things like this, like, well, I've read that already, or I know that already, I've heard that already. And we, 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 and that could be true, and we know about the scriptures, and we know the gospel, and we, we hear all of it, and then all of a sudden, we don't really hear it anymore, because we've heard it so many times, we don't hear it, and we don't see it, and it doesn't capture our heart the same way. And we can say things like, we're, we're bored, we get complacent, we get uninterested so quickly in what's going on. And maybe you've come to a place in, in your own life at times in the past, or maybe even today, where, where church is boring, and the Bible becomes boring, and your prayer life is non-existent because it's just kind of boring. And it doesn't capture your heart, maybe like it did years ago, or, or that time when you first said yes to Christ, or, or in different seasons, it's just become kind of white noise. It's just become a sense of duty. Which all of this, if, that's, if you've been there before or maybe you're there today, is kind of crazy because it's so opposite of what Jesus is inviting us into. It's so opposite of the life that he wants to call us to. Because the life that he wants to call us to is something that is raw, it's risky, it's adventurous, it's even dangerous. And so when, when he, the, the life that he's inviting us to and sometimes the life that we live are in conflict with each other. It's just, it's a place that we can find ourselves. See, Christianity can be a whole lot of things, I suppose, but boring should never be one of them. Never. And so I want to use James's story to talk about this idea that maybe you find yourself in this kind of place here this morning. So let's, let me introduce you to James and who he was. Let's, let's first start with his life before, uh, before faith for him uh, in Jesus. So James... Um, as strange as it may sound, again, he needed to be rescued from familiarity to Jesus. And the reason for that is because the James that we're going to talk about today, that James was Jesus's brother, technically half-brother. See, James grew up with Jesus. They had the same mom. And they, they spent time together, and they did chores together, and they played together, and they worked together. They grew up together. From a youngest age all the way up, James and Jesus were together, and they knew each other so, so well. Now, let me back up real quick, especially if I have a Catholic background here, because that might sound a little confusing. What are we talking about here in terms of half-brothers and all that kind of stuff? See, James, or excuse me, remember Jesus, he was the miraculous firstborn to, to Mary and, and conceived by the Holy Spirit. And, and we celebrate that at Christmas and, and that Jesus is the son of God and the, and the virgin birth and all of that happened. Now, after the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph then continued on in a normal marriage relationship. And they had a family and apparently, and they had kids and apparently they had a lot of kids. And so I wanna show you the scripture here real quick. Mark chapter six, where I asked you to start here, starting in verse one. It says that Jesus left there and went to his hometown. So he's an adult now, and he goes back to Nazareth, accompanied by his disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked, and what's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? So they're shocked with Jesus. He continues on, it says, isn't this the carpenter? And isn't this Mary's son? And here's the key. And the brothers of uh, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. 
And aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And here we get almost a passing comment snapshot of the, of the family that Jesus grew up with. And, and, and we see all these names here. And we see that Jesus had four half-brothers, at least four that were mentioned. And then we know he had at least two half-sisters. It just has the plural sisters. That could be two. That could be ten, five. I mean, we don't know what the number is exactly, but at least two. And so just, just at a minimum, the household that Jesus grew up in, there was, he was one of seven kids. This is a big family. This is, there's a lot of kids here. Now notice that James is listed first there, at least with the guys. We can't guarantee this because we don't know the ages of the sisters, but it's possible that James was the next oldest to Jesus. Maybe. Certainly he was of the boys. And so that being the case, James and Jesus are right next to each other in birth order and would have spent a lot of time together in their growing up years. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have loved and would love to have been a fly on the wall in that household. Could you imagine just just observing there's Mary, there's Joseph, kids everywhere. I mean, and just how they're, how they're living life, how they're relating with each other. I mean, all the, the dynamics that are, that are going on there. I mean, what would life be like growing up and, and Jesus is your brother or Jesus is your, your, your son. I mean, there's just so much there. And, and, and James, again, he knew Jesus as, as a boy. He knew him as an adolescent. He knew him as a young man. He knew him as an adult. James knew everything about Jesus that you could potentially know. He was there before Jesus was famous. Before Jesus started his ministry, James knew Jesus. And let's be kind of honest too. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't always easy for James. Right? I mean, you grow up in a household and Jesus is your brother, and he's like, well, perfect, right? And so, you know, you, you know, every once in a while, he got that little zinger of, why couldn't you be more like your brother? Right? That kind of comment here and, and keeping up with him, you know, he never messed up and you do all the time. I mean, just the dynamics in that home and what James would have experienced. Interesting. And I think it's important to note, too, that for James, that, that if Jesus was not the real deal, that if Jesus sinned growing up, if Jesus was faking, if Jesus was lying, if Jesus was just a con man, James would have had a front row seat to the entire thing. I mean, all of it. And so obviously, James having this privilege of, of, of being in this household, of, of spending great amount of time with Jesus, of growing up and seeing him in all the phases of his life, including into adulthood, including as Jesus starts his ministry. I mean, obviously, James believed in Jesus, right? James placed his trust in Jesus as his Lord and Savior, right? The answer is wrong. He didn't at all which is a little bit maybe surprising. I mean, check out this scene, Mark chapter three now. So if you have your Bibles open to chapter six, just a few pages to the left, go to chapter three, verse 20. Check out this scene. This is kind of a remarkable scene. It says, then Jesus entered a house 
Uh, and again, a crowd gathers so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. So, so what's going on here? So Jesus has launched his ministry. He's, he's growing in popularity. He's healing people. Miracles are happening. He's teaching people. The crowds are like, we've never seen anything like this. This is completely new, completely unique. And so you can imagine crowds are starting to build I mean, to the hundreds or to the thousands and gathering around him. So, so Jesus enters the house. They can't even eat their dinner because there's crowds packing in here that are going on. And people are starting to rumble with this message that this could be the Messiah. This could be the Son of God. This is the word that's being spread around town. Let's keep going here. Mark chapter three again. He says, he says and then, and when his family heard about this, They went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. His family thought he was crazy. I mean, they literally thought Jesus was crazy. They they didn't believe that this, this rumblings and this word that Jesus is the son of God. They didn't believe that. That's not where they were at at that time. Now they loved him. They would do anything for him, but they thought he was losing it. They thought he was absolutely crazy. Like, like grab the duct tape, open the car, you know, the trunk of the car, wrap him up, throw him in, drive him home, lock him in his bedroom. The man is going crazy. This is his family, and this is the lot that James is a part of here. I mean, this is this is what it what it was. But how many of us? You're so familiar with a brother. I mean, what if people started saying that your brother was the son of God? You love him. You do anything for him. He's family. Son of God. Mm. That's a big jump. And here's where James is. This is is what he's going through. And maybe some of you can relate to this. Because in a time in the past or even today, where you begin to ask yourself the question, like James had to do and, and all of us have to do, who is Jesus? Who is he? I mean, great guy great teacher, moral reformer. The list can go on of all these attributes and these great things we could say about Jesus. But then you get to the core of the matter because the core issue is this, son of God. Is he divine? Is he the one and only begotten son of God, Messiah, Savior, King of Kings and Lord of Lords? That's the real issue. And that's the stumbling block for James and so many of us today. There's so many that have such a high opinion of who Jesus is, but to the the idea that he's the son of God, that becomes too difficult. That can become absolutely too challenging. But for James, something happened. Something in his life took place that completely changed everything. And the thing that happened that changed everything was his brother was murdered. They hung him, they nailed him to a Roman cross, and he died. And that became the moment of change for James. That became the moment for him where he had to go from this place of he's my brother and we played games together and we did chores together and I knew him, but now I have to know him in a different way, in a way that I'm completely, it's just different. He was so familiar to Jesus that for James, it was hard for him to make the leap to a different picture of who Jesus is. 
and who he was. And for him to come to a place that Jesus is the Son of God. And again, this is the key thing. In fact, even, even the scriptures highlight that this is, why he, this is why Jesus died. This is why people tried to kill him. The scriptures record 11 assassination attempts on the life of Jesus. And they were successful on number 11. But here's why. Next scripture, you don't have to turn there, but John, uh, John chapter 10, verse 33. It says this, they're talking, Jesus says, why are you doing this? He says, we are not stoning you for any good work, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Again, this is the core issue. This is why Jesus was killed. This is the question we have to relate with and wrestle with. And this is the question that James had to wrestle with. Who is Jesus? Who is he? So Jesus died. They wrapped him in linens. They put him in a tomb and the family grieved. But we know from scripture, and we'll be celebrating this as Easter comes here in about a month or so, but, but we know that then, then three days later, a monumental life and history altering event took place as Jesus rose from the grave. He is alive back to life. He's, he's alive in every way and it validated everything that Jesus ever said about himself and everything that he ever did, that Jesus is the son of God. Of God, this incredible moment. Again, Jesus is alive. Now, just you go on the screen with me here, First Corinthians chapter fifteen, because after the resurrection, Jesus began to appear to people. He began to show up all over Jerusalem. He began to relate with people. The risen Christ. Look with me, starting in verse three. It says Paul's now writing this and, and giving this account. It says, "For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance." that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And here it goes. And we talk about these appearances. And that he appeared, he appeared to Peter. And then he appeared to the 12, the 12 disciples. And after that, to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time most of whom are still living. In other words, these 500 Christians that, that Jesus shows up to, they're still alive. You can go ask them about it because they were there and they'll tell you all about it. Most of them, are, again, they're, they're still, who are still living, though some have fallen asleep or died. And then here it is, it says this, then he appeared to James. I think it's fascinating that of all the people that Jesus could have gone and spent time with, all the people he could have shown himself to, talked with, visited with, of all the people, all the appointments Jesus could have made, Jesus is intentional to set an appointment with his little brother, James. And that's all it tells us. He appeared to James. And I don't know what that encounter was like. And the scripture doesn't tell us what they talked about. But, but I can imagine, at least in my own mind, that there was probably something like this for James of, of saying, no, hold on a second. I saw them. They killed you. And they put you in a tomb. And you've been there for days. This isn't possible. How, how is it possible that you're here? How is it possible that I'm talking to you? How is it possible that I can touch you? You're not a ghost. This is, this is just you. You're alive. How is that possible? I, I, just my opinion for what it's worth. I think that this little part in 1 Corinthians 15 where it says, then he appeared to James. And what we're going to talk about that happened in James's life in just a moment, 
is huge evidence for the truth of the resurrection. Because you see, for James, here in this moment, this is when his life changed. This for James is when everything went out the door. This for him is when he saw Jesus one way as my big brother, love him, but that is my big brother. And now all of a sudden he's able to make a leap and now he views Jesus as he is. Lord, Savior, Messiah, Son of God. It's this encounter where James's life completely changes. And I think this is evidence that the resurrection really happened. Because one of the biggest skeptics, one of the people who had a front row seat to everything in Jesus' life is able to get to a place where he says, you know what? It's all true. It's all true. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. Again, what an incredible thing here is James is rescued from his familiar picture of Jesus. So what happened next? Like I said, James's life changed. And we know from scripture that James began to plug into his local church there in Jerusalem. James began to, to, to worship. He began to pray. He began to serve. He began to just get involved in ministry and serving Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He, he began to do all that. And then in time, James became a pastor. And not only that, but we'll say it this way, kind of the equivalent, James became the lead pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Pretty remarkable. He began to be the lead pastor there. And this is a church, this is a big church. And this is a church, you've got, I don't know, like the apostle Peter in your church. I mean, that's, there's some big names in this church here. But, but James is actually the leader of that church. James is the lead pastor. And God began to work through James as James was serving and ministering and, and, and just uh, and touching people's lives. James also wrote one of the books of your Bible, the book of James. That was him. And I love how James starts the letter to, that he wrote, the book of James, chapter 1, verse 1, because I think it gives a little glimpse of James's heart and who he, who he was. Let's look at this verse here, the intro. Say, this is what he, how he introduces himself. He introduces himself as James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. Could you know what he didn't do? He didn't drop his resume or his pedigree. He didn't say, James... By the way, half-brother of Jesus, how cool is that? He didn't do any of that. He said, James, a servant. And that word in the Greek means bond slave or bond servant. What that means is, he, it, it, that word is a, is a, it's a slavery term, but it means to be willingly be a slave or a servant to somebody. That's what it means. It means James is saying, look, I signed up for this. I have signed up as a servant of my Lord Jesus. Not my big brother. That was a privilege, that was a season, but he is my Lord and Savior. And he signed up for that. That's how he introduces himself. That's what he wants people to know about himself. And so that's what he did. He served and he loved and he was involved in ministry. And history tells us outside of scripture that, that God used his life in a great way. In fact, he even developed a couple nicknames. You ever had a nickname before? He had two nicknames. One of his nicknames was James the Just. That's a good one. It's like Holy Hank or something like that, right? I mean, it's just James the Just. And people would call him that. He was known as James the Just. He also had this nickname, the nickname of Camel Knees. He was called Camel Knees. Well, that's not very flattering. Why would they call him Camel Knees? Well, the reason being was he was such a man of prayer that he was on his knees so many times they became calloused. And people knew that. And people would call him, again, the nickname 
camel knees. This, this was James. Finally, you fast forward several decades in his life to the year 62 AD. And just like they had had it with James's big brother, Jesus, they also had it with James. And the Jewish religious leaders there at the temple in Jerusalem, this is incredible to me, I don't, this is just amazing, but they took James up to the top of the temple, to the roof of the temple in broad daylight, and they pushed him off as an attempt to kill him. Unbelievable. He lands there on the steps of the temple, but he actually didn't die. And so history says, then they started grabbing stones, and they stoned him, and they killed him on the steps of the temple. And that was the end of James's life. But a remarkable life that he lived, a life of, of, of loving, of serving, and again, in some ways, being rescued from f- the familiar. His, his story is so unique because of the life that he grew up in, the family he grew up in. And maybe some of us can relate in some ways. So as we close, I want to ask a couple of questions. A couple of questions. The band, you guys can come on if you would, please. Are you today... Are you bored in your faith? Are you bored? Are you bored with the Bible? Are you bored with your prayer life? Maybe some of you right now are thinking, I'm bored with this message. I mean, I don't know. Are you just, are you bored? Are you, are you in a place where you say, I've heard it all again. I've seen it all. It's all familiar. It's all white noise. Has faith become for you something that's like a have to? Not a get to, but a have to. Like on par with mowing your lawn or going to the dentist. Like it's a good idea to be involved in the church or to go to church or to read the Bible. But, but is that where you're at today? And if that's where you're at today in your walk with God, I, I want to encourage you with something. I actually want to encourage you with something that James said. And I think it captures well his entire book that he wrote. But here, here's the thing. This one verse I want to share with you, if you're at this place, it's really for all of us, but especially if you're at this place in your spiritual journey this morning, that if you take this one verse and you you take it to heart and you try to live this one verse out, I guarantee you will never be bored again. And this one verse and living this one verse out will radically shake up your faith to such a degree that it will become a game changer in terms of the trajectory of what it means for you to follow Jesus. This is, this is going to shake it up. This is going to change everything. Here's the verse. Again, James shares these words with us. Here it is. Do not merely listen to the word or scripture and so deceive yourself. Four words. Do what it says. Do what it says. Because here's my guarantee. If you take that verse and you say, you know what, in light of my faith and where I'm at my spiritual journey, I'm going to do my best every day to wake up, to live out the words of scripture. Perfectly? Absolutely not. You'll mess up plenty as do I, but to say, Lord, I want to take you at your word and I want to try to live this out. I want to, I want to be a person of prayer and holiness and obedience. I want to love my enemies. I want to be somebody that's completely different and countercultural. I want to be like Jesus. I want to take him at his word and do what he says. And when you do that, everything about your faith will completely turn upside down. It will become less about religiosity and just kind of playing a part and showing up and checking boxes. I attended, I gave, I put in my serving duty. It will become a lifestyle that is a radical adventure. It will change everything. Absolutely change everything.
And so this is my encouragement for you no matter where we're at. This to be a way to rescue us from the familiarity, from what we're used to, in any sense that any of us could be bored as a follower of Christ. Hey, can I pray for us? And then we're going to worship some more as we begin to close up this morning. Father, thank you for the, the chance to, to get in your word and to, to learn about the life of James, to learn about what he went through and, and what, he, what he struggled with. And Father, thank you that in a passing comment in 1 Corinthians 15, we see that you made a point to meet with James. And Father, thank you that he was able to make that transition from what is familiar, what he thought you were like, to trusting in you and to following you and to being an example for us. And so, Father, I pray that if anyone here, uh, just in their own walk with you, they're just in a place where it's just, just kind of dull, I pray that for, for that person, but that for all of us as well, that you'd help us to live out and be willing to live out your words, to take you at your word. And Father, we know that to, to, to live out your word, we've got to know what your word says. And so I pray that you would help us to be people that are in your scriptures and that are trusting you radically. And so Father, we just commit uh, ourselves to you and, can, and Lord, thank you again for how you're leading and how you're loving us. And pray this in your name, amen. If you will, please stand and join us um, as we close our worship service today.
deserve it. Still you give yourself away. Don't be overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Yeah. As we sing that song, Lord, uh, that, that word reckless, you know, if we look it up in a dictionary, um, has kind of a negative connotation. But, Lord, we, we understand that, that that word reckless in this case, Lord, means that you gave everything for us. As individuals and as people, Lord, that you gave your son to die on a cross, um, that there was nothing, not even your son's life, that would stand in the way of being reconciled and, and us being able to know you. So, Lord, we praise you and we thank you um, for, for that recklessness. Not that, you are, not that you are careless in what you do, but, God, that you are so planned that you were willing to give up everything um, to allow us the privilege of being in relationship with you. God, we love you this morning, and I pray that if there is, um, if there is something in our life, something of a mundane where we've 
you know, this story of Jesus has become regular, ordinary God. Um, <laughs> change our perspective because as we're about to celebrate here in about a month, uh, the story is incredible. Um, and we are blessed, absolutely blessed to be a part of that. But Father, we thank you for that and, and we love you this morning and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. Oh, I'm sorry. Cindy does have one last announcement for you. Not on? Is this on? You guys can have a seat, quick seat if you want to, just for just quick, quick. Um, my name is Cindy Cool. If you don't know me, I know a lot of new faces, so it's so exciting to see you come and look at, check out our family, and be part of our family. Um, I heard a lot of things this morning about family and being part of, and and how James was part of um, Jesus's actual family. Um, and this reckless love. I mean, I thought about that too as I'm, as I, what I'm talking about this morning is being a part of something. And um, New Hope Church is really a great family to be part of. How many of you guys have a, like a T-shirt that has a sports team on it or some organization, something that you have in your closet that you have that recognizes you're part of something? Raise your hand if you do. Some, I mean, a lot of us do, right? Well, we have the opportunity today, starting today, to, to show you're part of the New Hope family. So we have, um, the store is now open. You, many of you, some of you may have been hearing about the, the New Hope store. So as part of the first uh, celebration of our 20th anniversary of New Hope being a family, we have New Hope uh, 20th anniversary t-shirts that you can now purchase and be, to share, the, share with the world that you're part of something. Um, so that's something that we also have. We have 20, the t-shirts. We also have some caps. And we also have some other just t-shirts that have new, the New Hope logo on it. So you're able to wear that with, with joy, hopefully with pride, to, to share that you are with a part of something. So if you want to check that out, we have a website you can go to. It's very easy to go on your smartphone or on the website, iPad, whatever. Um, it, the, in the bulletin, you have a bulletin flyer that shows the different articles that we have for sale. Um, a part of the proceeds will go to short-term missions, so we um, hope that you will uh, like that as well. But be be a part of this. So let's let's just see if we can flood our church and flood our community with um, the logo of New Hope Church and get that word out through our apparel that we have through our short store. If you prefer not to purchase things yourself online, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, just stop back at the booth. Um, I'll be back there, and I can place an order for you. Um, otherwise, for those of you who feel comfortable doing that, you just go online. You can check out what you want. If you scroll all the way down, just so you know, if scrolling all the way down to the, the bottom is where the form is actually at, you'll want to fill out to select the items that you want. So um, this is only open for about a month. We're not going to be doing this like forever. So this is open just for a month. So you have a, a short window of opportunity to be able to find that article to be able to share uh, your love of Jesus and New Hope Church with the community. So if you have any questions, please reach out to me. Again, I'll be in the back. Uh, let me know you want to see more close-up pictures of the items as well. Thanks so much. Oh, and by the way, you're now dismissed and time of uh, fellowship and just enjoy each other's company. Thank you.